welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. This tape is produced in the spirit of Essay's 12th step to carry the message. Members of the fellowship should bear in mind Essay's 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films in the use of this tape. Anonymity to this respect is actually the practice of genuine humility. We assure that humility expressed by anonymity is the greatest safeguard that SA could ever have. Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm your leader for this meeting. Um, and I'm a, our meeting topic is uh, is uh, humbly ask him to remove these defects of character. Um, I'm just going to sit down. I have to stand up here. Um, like I say, my name is Bob, and I'm a sexaholic. I'd like to uh, open the meeting with a moment of silence for those who are still suffering and follow it with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And be done. Okay, thank you. Uh, because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait to be recognized by the leader, as we do not cross talk or comment on anything any of the other individuals have said. If you wish to reply to a speaker, do so after the meeting. Please keep your sharing to two to three minutes so that everyone has an opportunity to share. Our purpose in sharing is to discuss ourselves. We don't discuss other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, and occupations. Our meetings focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We avoid mentioning or discussing specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. Each member is encouraged to remind other members during the meeting, if necessary, our commitment to these guidelines. I'm going to read from the 12 and 12 here, a short segment. During this process of learning more about humility, the most profound result of all was the change in our attitude toward God. And this was true whether we had been believers or unbelievers. We began to get over the idea that the higher power was a sort of Bush League pinch hitter to be called upon only in an emergency. The notion that we would still live our own lives, God helping a little now and then, began to evaporate. Many of us who had thought ourselves religious awoke to the limitations of this attitude. Refusing to place God first, we had deprived ourselves of his help. But now the words, of myself I am nothing, the Father doeth the works, began to carry bright promise and meaning. 
We saw we needn't always be bludgeoned and beaten into humility. It could come quite as much from our voluntary reaching for it as it could from unremitting suffering. A great turning point in our lives came when we sought for humility as something we really wanted rather than as something we must have. It marked the time when we could commence to see the full implication of Step 7, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. We would remind you that this is a tape meeting in the spirit of the 12th step. Uh, tape recorder can't be turned off. If you don't want to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting or simply listen at this meeting. And I've, uh, I'm going to share for a few minutes and then we'll open up the floor for sharing. What I want to do is I've, I've brought a little something to uh, to pass out. It's simply a copy of the seventh step prayer. Take one and pass it around, please. I did a lot of work with my uh, thank you, my sponsor over this, and and I just got to open a little bit as I share as to how really amazing it is for me. To actually sit in this room with you and talk to you about humility, <laughs> you know, and, and, and a lot of work was done in preparation for this. And my pastor, even who has been one of my accountability partners, told me he says, "Man, if you don't start out by laughing at this one." Um, <laughs> We haven't been doing much together at all. So, uh, <laughs> and it's because he too shares with the same struggle, uh, at least with humility, not with, with SA. But, so what is the problem? The problem for me is addiction. I have no choice, guys. I am powerless. That's the problem. What's the solution? Uncovering, discovering, discarding, and clearing away the wreckage of my past. Um, and and to that end, you know, there was a, there was a, when you're immersed in your recovery, you you're often far too close to the, to the trees for the sake of the forest, you know, which is why we have sponsors. And and I spoke with my sponsor a bit about this, and he says, you know, Bob, he says it's probably as important as anything when you're talking about step seven, to make sure that you have some discussion around the groundwork of what step seven, what step seven led was the result of and for me and for him as we worked together as I worked on step seven I was unavailable for step seven until I had performed step four five and six in a thorough manner Um, and I couldn't do step four without really getting real with steps one two and three now I'm not going to dig all the way back to one two and three because I think it would take a little longer than we have time for um, if you haven't asked, uh, if you're not incorporating step three prayer into your daily life, uh, though, I would just simply recommend to you that you start each day, uh, having memorized the third step prayer and use it every day to set the tone. I don't know about for you, but for me, it's the great neutralizer of my mind, um, and sets my day off straight. But step four, um, for me, it was about me. It was my inventory. It was an act of uncovering. I had to uncover the, the wreckage. 
and see it all. And step five and six was a matter of me discovering, um, you know, what was wrong with me. You know, it was about getting the clue, you know, and getting out of denial uh, about what was going on in my own mind uh, and being okay with the fact that I had these resentments and being uh, starting to realize that I, I bring these character flaws to everything I do. Um, and for me, you know, it's just like has been said by, <laughs> by my sponsor when he shares, you know, my problem isn't sex and rage and lust. My problem is life. And, and the problem with life is that I bring sex and rage and lust to it, everything that happens. You know, I'd con myself into believing that I'm some sort of normal guy when actually inside my mind it's nothing more than a sexual theme park. And everything that happens is just one more turn of the corner of the roller coaster of sex and lust. And any time you ask me for any kind of engagement in life, all I can do it with you is just scream at you as I'm flying by on this roller coaster. You know, I got nothing to offer life in a productive fashion prior to coming to recovery. I shouldn't say that in, in its entirety. I mean, I could participate in a limited fashion, but it was purely an act. So, so for me, as grandiose as I was, I had completely bought my con that I had a normal life going on. I had bought that deal. And I was convinced at depth that my deal would work. Only by the time I got to recovery, the pain of, of, of spiritual, um, I guess destruction in my life was so great that there was great dichotomy. I still wasn't ready. I was still in denial. It took me over a year to to finally give myself to the program of recovery, which is why it's amazing for me to be humble. I've got a I've got a real unforgiving spirit. I'm a very judgmental spirit, and I've also got a lot of um, a lot of grandiosity. So for me to learn how to become humble was was a lot of work. Um, and then of course. In step seven, you go back over four and five and, and, and you discard it. So it's basically three big deals. It's uncovering, discovering, and discarding. And a great weight comes off one's shoulders if they really do this work. Uh, I, I've heard this from, from many people. I do know for myself that that's what happened. Um, so the, the, the other thing I want to kind of cover here, too, is, is kind of the stages of adopting humility as a desired way of life. Um, for me, the way it worked was discovering what humility really was. You know, I could have sat down and talked to you about it. You know, I, I got a stack of books on self-help and psychology uh, and motivation that I've read. I could have given you excerpts out of that, um, but I didn't really know what it was. And for me, what that meant was for me discovering what it really was and realizing that I didn't really know what humility really was as a way of life. And then the next thing, number two, was considering it as a possible way of life. You know, it's one thing for folks to be humble in life, but that wasn't me. <laughs> I mean, that's an option if you want to live that way. But, um, you know, enlightened self-interest, you know, you know, yeah, come here, I'll enlighten you. <laughs> you know, you know, you know I, was, I, was in a, I was in a position of... Of, of management in a, in a small business, and I had very technical people working for me, and, and I had to run the show because somebody was going to. And it really needed to be me because I was the boss, and if I didn't want to do it, someone else was going to, and it wasn't going to work. And so that environment conditioned and set it, it really, you know, perpetuated this mentality of, you know, I'll enlighten you, and it put me into an even bigger control situation. 
which fed actually fed my 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 lust and my and my my addiction. So another element of things I had to move away from. Learning the the third issue here was the third uh, stage for me was learning that my lack of, of humility was crippling me. You know, first of all, knowing it is a way of life, and you know, or, or number two, and then seeing how it was crippling me. And, and how I was separating myself from God, starting to get a clue that maybe this is what was the result of my deal. Then realizing that, you know, we like our world have a very bad time with humility and greatly dislike it. You know, we're in a society that, you know, humility? What are you talking to me about? Humility? I gotta run the show. I gotta drive the SUV. I, I've gotta have people get out of my way when I change lanes. I gotta, I gotta have people do what I tell them to do at work and in my house. Um, how, how does humility fit into society's definition of how we should be? Uh, don't believe that. Just watch a little TV for a while. You'll have that figured out. Um, <laughs> and step five then in the stages of realizing this was realizing my responses to anything were founded in my character flaws and rooted in my fears, causing my experiences of the humility to be like the eating a humble, humble pie and, rather than a way of life. Um, and to just sort of discuss that a minute, I just got something I want to read to you uh, that I've sort of paraphrased um, here that sort of embodies this mentality, this stage. We try to live apart from God. We try to do without Him. We act as though we have a life of our own, separate from God and others and separate from God's will. All this, if it were true, would not mean harmony and connection with God, but strife, discord, and separation from God. It would also mean that we are also quite separate from others and could injure, rob, hurt, or even destroy them without any damage to ourselves. In fact, greed and selfishness would be endorsed as a way of life, and we would feel that the more we took from others, the more we should have for ourselves. It would mean that the more selfish and self-serving we become, and the more indifferent we are toward others, the better off life we would be. Now, if this were true, at least I have lived as if it were true, it would mean that the whole universe is only a jungle and sooner or later would self-destruct by its own insanity, which I almost did. But of course, this is not true. And thank God. For in connection with God and others, we find true joy in life. The big difference for me after step seven was that I had then installed a process when I humbly gave God my shortcomings to keep doing that and stop living the way I just kind of described here. I would choose this way of life of trying to control and be separate from God, my right to myself, my right to opt out, is a way of trying to find satisfaction for my needs. Besides, who can please me better than me? Well, God can please me a lot better than I ever could. And so the shift for me came from stopping this bondage to self and starting this connection with God and getting more from that than I could have ever gotten in my own pursuits by orders of magnitude.
The next stage here is realizing that in refusing to place God first, we were depriving ourselves of his help, actually acknowledging the fact that when I do this, I separate from myself from God. And it's not something that's my choice. It's just the reality of the deal. I mean, it's just like gravity. I mean, you're going to get awful bloody jumping off a building trying to prove gravity wrong. Truth of the matter is, is that when I'm acting out, when I'm lusting, when I'm raging, when I'm resenting, when I'm breaking out of my boundaries, I have taken myself out of the light. And when I take myself out of the light, I'm enabling my character flaws rather than getting rid of them. And I'm stepped out of the process, the continuing life process of step seven. And I've gotten into the old way of living my life. And then I begin to move toward a different attitude of myself. I am nothing. And God does the work through me if my heart is with, right with him. Um, another quick reading I put together was, it's a combination of open-mindedness, faith in God, and the realization that the will of God for us is always something joyous and interesting and vital and much better than anything we could think of for ourselves. This state of mind also includes a perfect willingness to allow this will of God to come about in whatever way God sees fit rather than how we might have chosen for ourselves. And then the eighth and last stage for me was the great turning point of step seven occurs when we sought for humility as something we actually wanted in our lives or I actually wanted in my life. Um, For me, it was a long road in learning on what it is, how it could work for me, where I'm at with it, where I need to be with it, and then making that move before I could get to that eighth stage, which is saying, hey, I want to live like that. Having it be my choice, really, that I want to live this way, and I don't want to live the old way. And for me, how you know, what? so what has changed? What was going on with me before, and how have I changed? Um, I don't get speeding tickets anymore which is a good thing, um, which means I'm going to hopefully get off this little reminder letter list from the state of Michigan. <laughs> I've not applied a multiplier to speed limit signs now in quite some time. Um, <laughs> and I know that I'm powerless over speeding because it's one of the ways I manage rage. And I can see the progress now because I now drive through the same areas I used to before, right past some of the same patrol cars, with some of the same officers that used to pull me over, and I'm within the speed limit, and I don't realize that until after I've passed the event. Um, or at least, if not within the speed limit, within 5 over, 510 over on the expressway. Um, nothing that would get me pulled over unless the guy's having a bad day. Um, so I'm making progress. I'm like, where I need to be, uh, a law enforcement officer would probably tell you no. Um, do I have a lot of points on my license? Is it expensive to have insurance? Yeah. But I'm making progress. Um, another way I've changed is I can have conversation about finances with my wife that doesn't turn into a squabble. I didn't think it was possible to talk about money with a spouse and not have some sort of deal going, some sort of squabble, some sort of possible argument. I'm learning that that doesn't have to be the case. We can actually be human beings and adults and talk like, you know, reasonable individuals. It's amazing. Um, it's because I'm not bugging her. I'm, I'm letting her be who she is. Um, I don't have to control that anymore. Um, I'm able to be around my leadership at work comfortably without fear. Anytime the boss wanted to talk to me, man, I had to get the mask up. I was scrambling for the defense mechanism. You know, I didn't need him seeing who I am. I got, I got to have things looking right. You know, I don't have to be that way anymore. 
I'm who I am. I've been here 10 years. Uh, you guys have kept me around. You know I'm in recovery. A couple of the, the most important leadership knows that I'm in recovery. They've told me they're supporting and work with me. What do I need to get all freaked out for here? You know, and one of the character defects is not being forgiving, not being grateful. You know, so learn how to do that. I make better choices about my time allocations, better honor my role as a father, a husband, and a son. You know, I have friends that would call me up with a heated emergency, and I'm gone. I'm helping them. Well, my wife needs me at home. Didn't matter. I was gone. You know, I'm not doing that kind of stuff anymore. In fact, I had a long talk with one friend. I said, you know, i got a good friendship, but there's another angle to this other thing that you're including here. I feel like I'm at beck and call. I am not at beck and call. If you're not married to me, and you're not my child, or you're not my parents who are elderly, you're not my parents, forget how old they are. You know, I, I don't, I'm not at beck and call for you, man. It's not going to be that way. You want to give me a couple days notice, I'll see if I can work it in, but I might even call you back and say, hey man, I can't help you. And you need to be okay with that. And if you can't be okay with that, this is your problem, not mine. <laughs> you know, I don't know how healthy that is, right? But I had to make a boundary and I had to make some rules from, and some discipline in my life and say to these guys, look, I'll help you. I love to help you. Don't get me wrong. It's not about that. What it's about is I gotta have my priorities right. You know, I gotta know who, who's in my life and I gotta be able to honor that. Um, and my employer gets a day's worth of work out of me, uh, every day I'm there. Um, working on getting, giving him, you know, eight cents for his nickel. Uh, right now I'm only at six. Uh, some days I'm just making even at five. Um, but, <laughs> you know, Step seven, I guess, before we start the sharing here, was a, was a point in my life when I took the sum total to account of the, the, the first five, six steps of the, the size of my addiction, I guess. The, the size of the damage, I guess, of my addiction had rendered. And it was, in having done all that work in the first six, gets you down pretty close, I think, anyone who's ever done that, with the size of your addiction, I think, at least from the, the damage path. It gets you a pretty good angle on it. doesn't get you the whole, the whole list right, but it gets, you, it gets you into it, at least for the first time that you've ever looked at these things in, so, in total. And, and for me, it was a very liberating step. Because what it enabled me to do is take all these character defects that I had discovered about myself and finally gotten able to be honest with for the first time and offer them up to God and say, God, look, you know, hey, in my finest hour, look what we have. Look what I've rendered. I need you to help me and take these things. And I need, um, I need us, you know, I need to be available for you. Remove my defects of character which stand in, in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Uh, get me out of the way because I've been in the way for so long. And uh, I'd just like to end this part of the, before we start the sharing by, by saying the seventh step prayer. Pray it with me. My Creator, I am now willing that you should take of all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. 
Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Okay. What I'm going to do is sort of we got enough cord here, so I'm going to bring the mic around if you guys don't mind. Don't don't feel like you got to stand up if you don't want. Hi, I'm Howard. I'm grateful to be a sexaholic in recovery. I'm watching my watch. Um, I uh, humbly asked him. Uh, yeah, I do that. Um, I ask, and he does the humbling, because he, my higher power, removes the defects of characters, a character in ways that are very uh, not my way of doing it. The most uh, dramatic one for me is um, I'm an ordained clergyman, and I'm also uh, got to. Uh, perform. I've got this drive in me, the psychological need to gain people's admiration. I don't have my own self-esteem, so I want other, I get my self-esteem from others. And of course, one of the reasons that drove me into, into being a clergyman is, you know, uh, ordination is one of the greatest certificates of being a good guy that you could get hold of. And, um, but it happens to be a character defect of mine uh, because I was always getting stressed out by my work as a clergyman. It was, uh, I was always a pastor of large parishes for, for 20 years. And I was, there's no end to the work that can be done. It's unending, un, un, unbounded and you set up your own boundaries. Well, I had to be, I drove myself, drove myself, and I like that analogy. My boss was getting eight cents for the nickel, all right. Um, but my boss wasn't God. Um, so, there was an intervention that got me into psychotherapy that got me into essay and into recovery. And then intervention also came with it automatically being uh, my license to practice as the clergyman was taken away and it's taken away permanently because I'm an insurance risk. If the church authorities were to put me anywhere and I was to abuse someone, and they know I'm an abuser, I'm a predator, then the, the church could be sued. And my church has been sued for its ministers uh, doing, uh, abusing people sexually to the tunes of many millions and millions of dollars in this country and around the world. But personally... It's the greatest thing that could happen to me. One of the greatest things. It, it's, it's, it's a character defect that I am truly powerless over. I feel as powerless over this grasping for attention and grasping for the admiration of other people and finding my self-esteem in that as I, as powerless over that as I do over lust, really. And so God did it for me. 
It was very humiliating. First of all, I could not imagine myself being happy without having this ministry of pastoring parishes. And I was in the most desolate depression over that. And it's in hindsight that I can see it was one of God's greatest gifts to me. And now I have no leadership position in the work I do. And even though the character defect still raises its ugly head, there's a lot less stress in my life because I don't take leadership in anything except the idea of servant leadership like in SA. So I'm very grateful to my higher power for removing me, for taking away my license through the intervention, taking away my license to practice the ordained ministry in a public way. I, I minister, my whole life is ministry, but it's not with the little white collar around my neck. I can't present as an ordained minister and I can't uh, gather people in public worship, but I can surely do a lot of ministry. And my first ministry, which which I give first priority, is working for and with essayers. And um, so God worked in a way to take away my character defect, or, or more or less the effect of my character defect, in a totally unexpected and unimaginable way for me, in a very humbling way. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you. I'm Paul. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And thanks to God and the fellowship, my sobriety date is May 31st of last year. And, uh, yeah, I struggle with the opposite of humility, which is pride. And, um, um, for me today, humility is about seeing myself clearly, not putting myself up on a pedestal and seeing myself as better than other people, and that's a struggle for me, and not putting myself lower than other people and uh, seeing myself as less than or defective, and that's still a struggle for me also. Um, and both of those are forms of pride, and both of those get in the way of my my working the program and my coming to God. And uh, one of the things that uh, that drove my bus in my addiction was humiliation. And um, I practiced various forms of sexual acting out that were humiliating and that were designed to punish me um, and humiliate myself. Like affirmations in order to see myself in a clearer way. And uh, one of the things that I did while working the sixth and the seventh step was trying to change my behavior through affirmations, um, not just by um, doing the work that's required as far as taking a look at myself under the microscope. And I found that uh, positive reinforcement is helping me. It's helping me to view myself as worth recovery, and it's helping to treat myself um as a human being and not less than. Thank you. Hi, I'm David, grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Hi, team. Uh, by God's grace, I've been sexually sober since May 25th, 1995. And uh, 
I don't know what's jumping out is grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. It's kind of where I'm at in my life. Um, I'm seeing the action part of step seven. I'm seeing that the first six steps are all this working the steps with a sponsor, looking at myself, you know, self-analyzation. The seventh step, you know, takes me out to others, seven through twelve. And for an isolation addict like myself, that's the key. And grant me strength as I go out from here. For me is to, like my wife, I lived in just lust for years, then in early recovery resenting her, and then realize underneath that is I'm just afraid of her and I'm afraid of woman, you know. And uh, so the strength as I go out from here is just to face her eye to eye. And the action is to confront a financial situation instead of just go act out. You know, or confront my boss. You know, wake up, wash up, show up and grow up. Come to a meeting on time. You know, just, I'm praying for God to remove my defects of character up in the room and he says, get to that meeting on time. You know, cause my ego, I don't know. So it's just the action for me. And, you know, the strength as I go out from here, I'm usually deathly afraid. I'm afraid to share. Um, God, give me the strength as I go do this. I'm afraid to confront my wife. You know, so that's where I'm at with this step, just praying for the strength as I face what my sponsor says, doing what comes unnaturally. How did I used to do it? You know, I was a slob, a pig. Got me strength not to resent my wife as I have to clean my own bathroom, do my own wash, uh, shop for my own clothing. My wife should be doing all that for me. My dependency as I face my codependency. So so that's where I am, and uh, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Peter. Uh, I'm Peter. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, I can I can relate with uh, Howard there. I'm a performing pianist. Okay, is this closer? Down. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I thought that uh, for most of my life, you know, I also have an addiction to practicing the piano, and uh, you know, wanting wanting praise or uh, acknowledgement from other people. It's like it's uh, somewhere in the back of my mind when I was young. I think I thought it would be a lot easier to get better and better as a performing pianist and have acceptance from other people than to actually work on myself. Because <laughs> working on myself is just a hell of a lot harder. And uh, I find in so many ways as a male that there's so many easy outs. Like if you earn more money or if you perform better than somebody else does or whatever, get more applause or whatever it is you're doing, that uh, then that that allows you not to have to look at yourself and not to have to grow and not to have to be in a relationship with someone to just avoid all of that. You know, you just, lock, stock, and barrel, you avoid everything else. And so that's what I'm seeing in my life right now, that I've had this pattern through my whole life, and it's a habit of thought and a way of life, but it's, it's it was just systematic avoidance of my own character and uh, covering up my inability to relate to people. And so that's what I'm working on right now in the program. And with that, I'll pass. My name is Art. I'm a sexaholic and a child molester. And my sobriety date is August 1985. Uh, my action for the seventh step, uh, humbly ask God to believe our shortcomings, uh, is to stay open not to resort to my habitual isolation and what's uh, the, the defect that that 
is living in me now, is alive and well, is my desire to be right. And my desire to bring the rest of the world around into conformity with my idea of what's right. Uh, I realized some time ago, uh, sitting at a meeting, that somehow from too young for me to remember when it started, I've always felt the responsibility to know how things are supposed to work out. And I've felt the responsibility to know, I've felt the responsibility to make them work out that way. In other words, uh, Godhead. I, I wanted to be God. And, uh, it never made me happy. And, and it's alive and well in me today. And, uh, uh, I was, uh, involved in some, uh, some service work all day yesterday that was very tense and uh, emotionally taxing and I woke up this morning with a hangover from that. Uh, I thank God it wasn't a lust hangover but uh, it was a hangover and uh, so my action is uh, that I was at a meeting at 8 o'clock this morning and uh, I'm at this meeting and I'm reporting to you that I'm powerless over the desire to be right and uh, I ask God to remove that defect of character. Thanks. Hi everybody, I'm Dave. I'm a sexaholic. Hi Dave. Uh, by God's grace, this fellowship and 12 steps have been sexually sober since August 13th of 97. Um, and I was uh, I was struck when uh, um at the beginning of the meeting about how when I'm in isolation, when I think that I'm independent, um, how, how, uh, how my life fell apart when that was my, my view of things. Um, and I've, I've, I'm starting to come to realize that my security and, uh, um, my health really is, is, uh, dependent on, Seeing my connect, being connected to other people, being connected to my higher power, and being connected to uh, to you folks, being connected to my fellows, and um, the the natural state for me is uh, to think of myself as independent. And uh, the truth of the matter is that when I'm when I was independent, I was at the end of my addiction. Um, you know, and, and my natural state is not to have God be the top thing in my life. Um, that's something that I'm having to learn to do in this program. Uh, my natural state is for me to be the top thing, for me to be on the throne of my life. And uh, I have to keep coming here to be reminded that um, that didn't work for me, um, that what works is letting God run run my deal, run my show. I like that uh, terminology. Um Humility is a it's a hard thing to talk about because I I know it more in the absence than in the practice of it and uh, um so but I I think practice is is a key thing and when you were talking about that that roller coaster that amusement park um that's that's me on my own ride that's me being independent and when I'm 
uh, a key part of my meditation is to be focused on what's really, what's real, what's really going on out here. And, and the reality of, of my experience is that I cannot do this alone. Um, I can't do anything alone. I can't exist in isolation. And, uh, that's a big part of my thinking. Other people have talked about, you know, I, I, my self-esteem is so wrecked that I need to, uh, uh, feel superior to you. And the way I do that is by pulling you down. And, and, um, you know, I know where that got me. And, uh, so it's important for me to remember that the, the quality of my relationships, you know, taking the actions of love to improve my relationships with others is really, uh, is really a key thing for me. Um, with that, I'll pass it on. Thanks. I'm Shirley. I'm a sexaholic and uh, sober since 4th of July, 1995. Um, I can tell you how I did this step wrong. Um, <laughs> that's usually how I learn, unfortunately, kind of hard-headed here. But uh, I was confusing humility and shame. I don't think I was reading this step very well because it says humbly ask him to remove our defects. I was humbly asking, or not so humbly ask, asking myself to remove them. And it wasn't working. You know, I couldn't figure out. It just It just wasn't working. And I finally realized that being ashamed of my behavior was another way of grabbing power back. Because would you be ashamed of something that you weren't in control of? No. So how could I be ashamed of something if I wasn't saying, well, I, I can do this? And it was a humbling experience, thank God, to realize that uh, I'm, I'm out of control. That in the, in the years I've been in this program, the only thing that's, everything's changed except the fact that I have no personal power over this addiction. And so it's amazing when I let go of the shame, that gave me a chance then to say, well, of course I'm doing this. I'm a sexaholic. And it grounded me back in my first step and helped me to realize that, well, yeah, that's why I have to do this program. You know, it kind of, grounded the other steps a little more firmly. So, thanks. Hi, I'm Chris, the recovering sexaholic. been sober since July 16th of last year. Uh, I've been pretty much beaten by this disease, and the uh, first three steps showed me that uh, I was beaten uh, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And uh, four, four, five, and six, you know, I got to identify what was wrong with me that but that poison was inside of me that, that needed to be fixed. So when I got to seven, it's like, okay, I know that, that God, I know that you know what's wrong with me. I finally know what's wrong with me, and uh, I need your help. Um, I could finally see that I wasn't on the eye-to-eye level with God, <laughs> and I was not, not the controlling factor here. Um, I also could see that I was on an eye-to-eye level with other people. I wasn't below them anymore. And I wasn't above them, and, and uh, I was eye to eye. And that I, although I, I want to control them, a lot of times that that's not my job. It's not I'm not the superintendent of the universe. And uh, you know, by seeing things in that light, and, and seeing that that God will remove these defects, 
if I uh, if I do the footwork, um, gives me a lot of hope. And uh, just seeing it working in my life definitely gives me hope because uh, things are a whole lot different than they were last July. And uh, I am uh, humble. I, I thought I was just humbled by getting beaten by the disease, but uh, after clearing away the wreckage of the past and seeing things for how they really are, um, sheds a whole new light on things. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. And with that, I'll pass. I'm Paul. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. By the grace of God and the fellowship of this program, I've been sober since July 29th, 96. Um, this is one of those steps that I really wanted to just kind of do quick and move on from. And um, it wasn't like I was afraid of it. It was I was not admitting I was afraid of it. And um, what I'm finding is that uh, the only way I can work this step is to have that to be a continuing part of my daily my daily new way of living and thinking and um just two thoughts that were coming to mind and listening to all of you share and thinking about uh, my initial work in a step seven and one of those was that a, a, a good person in the program shared with me a thought about humility that really stuck in my mind and, and that thought was that um humility is only found when we're in relation to God because the definition of humility is a right understanding of who I am in relation to God and my fellows. And um, that just really stuck with me um, because I'd struggled for my whole life with either feeling better than or worse than or better than or worse than or better than or worse than. You know, and everyone I met, I was lining up myself up on this little scale. Okay, well, I'm better than him. I'm worse than her. I'm better than her. I'm worse than him. And um, in reality, I was missing the whole the whole point. And um, the thing that really got to me when I was working through Step 7 the first time with my sponsor was the fact that um, I came to this prog- this this barrier and I, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And um, I realized that I hadn't worked Step 6 quite thoroughly enough because I, I was convinced that um, I wasn't a person with defects. I was just a bundle of defects. So if I if I give up my defects, then then there will be nothing left. You know, I I won't have to worry about working the rest of the steps because I won't be here anymore. And um, you know, it was a realization. It was a realization to you know to have my sponsor, who's um, got a little more insight than I do, um, say, well, you know, you do realize, Paul, that you're in there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you when you do let God take those away, he's, you're not going to be dragged off with them. Um, and that was a real eye-opener for me. I, I'm a little slow, so um, I'm just really grateful uh, for the fact that even though I kind of had to take it on faith that, that uh, my sponsor knew what he was talking about, when I when I did begin to to ask God to take those, I did find out that, yeah, I was in there somewhere, and, and I still have a lot of defects, but now today I realize I'm not one of them. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. I'm Brian, sexaholic. Uh, I've been sexually sober since the 22nd of March, through the grace of God. Um, I've been in the program eight years. I've had some long stretches of sobriety. Um, and uh, I've had to revisit uh, the whole question of humility many times. I love the seventh step prayer. I say it every day, along with the third step prayer. <clears throat> Someone um, that I heard speaking one time 
uh, said something that I've tried to work with, and it's that uh, uh, the taking away of the defect, asking for my defects to be taken away is, is part of it. I have to want that to happen. But um, also, uh, I need to practice uh, the other side of it. I need to, uh, if I want the defects removed, I have to practice doing uh, the thing that will replace that. Um, and um, I, uh, I've discovered that um, not only is my lust cunning and baffling and powerful, but my defects are cunning, baffling, and powerful. Um, they they're so so deep seated um, and and at such a subconscious level a lot of the time that I don't even realize what I'm doing. I don't realize that I'm acting out of them, and I need to I need to bring it to a conscious level. That's that's what I working the steps and 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 being in meetings and and working with my sponsor helps me to do. Uh, when I pray for uh, uh, being able to do, I want to do the will of God, as it says in the prayer. I want to do your will. I want to go forth from here, and I want to do your will today. Your will, not mine, be done. Um, I'm slowly discovering that that will, how that will comes to me, or how it's made uh, evident to me. And it's not always, in fact, it's it's frequently not in the way that I thought it would be. Um, it comes to me largely from other people around me, um, it often cuts across what I want to do or what I think is important. It often interrupts me. And um, and when those things happen, when I get stopped or interrupted, uh, my, my gut reaction is, oh, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm doing this. And that's one manifestation of my defects at work. Um, my wife has been a good teacher for me in this regard. Um, she said to me last a uh, year sometime, you know, something about, well, why, why are you speaking, why are you speaking to me in that angry tone of voice? And I said, I'm not. <laughs> but then I had to, uh, then I had to realize that somehow, unconsciously almost, I, I, I was responding to her frequently in, a, in what was a really a resentful, it was a resentful attitude. It wasn't so much, I thought I had put the resentments aside, but it was a resentful attitude somehow that was coming out just in the very tone of voice. And I had to work hard on that. I had to really make a conscious, determined effort on that, just on that one defect to try to change it. And thank God that, you know, it's, it has changed and it doesn't too often happen. Um, anyway, that, that, it's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the learning and the growth that's been, been made available to me through the program. Thank you. My name is Dan. I'm a sexaholic. I've been uh, sober uh, seven months now, and uh, for the grace of God, and, uh, character defects. I've had I had quite a bit of character defects. Uh, a lot of uh, just going out and reacting, and not even thinking about the consequences. Uh, a few times in my life, you know, I reacted and uh, I ended up in jail for it, you know. <coughs> uh, yeah, I, when I was young at first, well, when I first, well, I just got finished my first step and uh, it was a 
a big load off my uh, my chest and my mind and everything. And I felt great after I finished it. And uh, I'm just glad, I, I'm glad I found this program. I'm from Canada. I I came down to get more recovery and and find a. I'm starting to find myself, you know, and and not not reacting and then thinking and then uh, ending up places that I don't want to be, you know, because uh, I it's not fun at all. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty scary actually ending up in a jail cell or something you did the night before. And then they, then there were 12 guys, you know, and you're on a charge. Yeah, they don't, they don't like it. I, they don't like a, year then well I was lucky I didn't have too many problems in there but I uh I had some you know and I just wanted to come down here today and uh and uh, get out some of the things that are bothering me and and I do I got a good sponsor I, and ever since the meeting started in Windsor, uh, seven months ago, I haven't lost my sobriety. I just thank God for that. Thanks. Uh, hi, my name is Al, a recovering sexaholic. And I like what was said because it clarified my mind. Uh, I came here, I've been wondering, you know, kind of exactly where did I come. I came here to get more recovery, to get why I came. And it, my mind is clarifying a little more, although it's surely cloudy. And right now, I just need to say that for me, humbly asking God to remove my defects, I need to sort of understand what that means for me. I have a whole bunch of defects, all of the name. Fear is a big one. My wife used to say to me, Al, you got a sleazy side. And I get this big, sleazy side. Uh, but I also have, and have had my lifetime, sort of a chronic depression, which is a chemical imbalance and a few health problems. And I often also take those as def- characters of, uh, defective character, and they're not. It's just the way my body works. And then I get down because I uh, have these other physical problems. And I just need to know what, God can remove and what he's giving me to deal with, little wee problems, and not get all upset because I just easily get down and take it all on myself, the old grandiosity stuff. So I need to say all that. Thank you. I'm Kate. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I just want to uh, humbly remove defects of character which stand in the way of my usefulness to you and others. Um it was good for me to be at this meeting. I'm just sort of um, currently just with uh, isolation. Just sort of like I was like, okay, yeah, you know, God removed this isolation, and it's just sort of sort of like me asking God to remove, you know, my compulsion to lust. And it's just sort of um, 
And I don't know, and then it just sort of came to me of just God help me to remove remove from me the embarrassment to share about it. Um, I don't know, just sort of, I, I, I want the pain to be removed. You know, God, you know, this is painful. Okay, God, remove it from me and stuff. And instead of removing the barrier for me to take care of myself, I guess. Um, so it was really good to hear that. Um, I've had to, in doing my uh, ninth steps, I've had to, uh, you know, right before, usually right before I, I do them, um, basically when my mind's screaming that you don't want to do this, um, going through and doing a sixth and seventh again right there and stuff like that. And I don't know, this step here is where the magic is for me. I don't understand it fully, but I've just sort of, it suddenly just gives me the ability to just, you know, the willingness to go ahead and and make an amends for something that, you know, my mind does not want to. So, um, I'm grateful. Okay. One final, there's one final, uh, short reading I want to give to close the sharing and then we'll wrap it up. Um, again, I mean, all my readings have, have come from, um, from Emmett Fox's Sermon on the Mount, um, in, in, in its context. Um, and on page 51, he talks about how it's utterly impossible to make any real spiritual progress unless you're trying your very best to live the life. It's impossible to separate spiritual knowledge from right conduct. And, and I needed to hear that because I'd have liked to told you I could have behaved any way I wanted and still been okay spiritually. I want to thank everybody for sharing because there was a lot of insight and strength and hope in this room and I really appreciate what you had to say. So, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should be should not be repeated outside. What we what we say here, let it stay here. Um, for those of you who know it, who know it, please join me in the in the third step prayer. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.